Here we go. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. How are you doing tonight? Glad to see you guys all out here. Joining us for what should be a really fun, fun and interesting evening. Very informative, mm -hmm. I'm hoping. Yep. Having a little bit of difficulty with some of the tech stuff, of course. Why, you know, what else would happen, right? So, yes, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah, we were unable to um, have our guest on video today, uh, but he will be joining us on the phone. And um, so, <laughs> unfortunately, we couldn't get that part worked out. Um, that's why we're a little bit late uh, getting on here tonight. So, apologize for that. But uh, we will have him on. Yep, very shortly after we do some shout outs and. Uh... He's waiting in the wings. Let's see. And we'll get right here. to it. Nick, Nick's here tonight. How you doing, Nick? Glad to see you. Judy, Diane. Hi, Diane. How you doing? Joe. Livingstone, Hawaii. Wow. Hi, Brent. Jack. How's it going, Jack? Don's here tonight. Don Brents. Mary's here with us. Annette. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Always something. Yeah, and Linda, of course, is there with us. Yep. I want to uh, thank everybody that came in tonight. I want to thank uh, Jeffrey, my co-host, uh, Linda, our moderator, obviously. I want to welcome uh, the viewers from my Facebook group. I want to welcome the members from YouTube and also from uh, Jeff's twitch channel that we are live this saturday night with a special guest all right all righty okay there's going russ. To russ who's else Louisville. who's coming in jeff pat pat how you doing tonight pat the gang's all here Thank you for telling me that, Pat. <laughs> From Mississippi. Everybody's coming in. Very good. Yeah, Very this is going to be exciting tonight. I'm really looking forward to this. Wanda, how you doing? Yep. Well, Jeff, I guess we might as well just get right into it. Yeah, let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. Well, our special guest tonight, as you saw some of my promos, he had the number one theory from uh, Oak Island. And um, he was on, uh, or was in the war room on season six, episode 22, Lost and Founding. Um, he has over 130 videos, blogs, and etc on his YouTube channel, yep. a very in-depth theorist. And he's here to uh, give us all the connections uh, within his theory and the connection with Oak Island. Um, I want to introduce to you now. I want to introduce to you now, Court Lindell. Are you there, Court? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I can hear you. I have trouble hearing you, uh, understanding what you all are saying, but it's good to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. Glad to have you, Court. Welcome. 
great. All righty. You can you still having problems or no? Yeah, I can barely understand you all. I apologize. Well, why don't we talk about because we can hear you fine. Um, let's talk about your theory and try to tie it into Oak Island. You know what episode on that episode six with the um, revolutionary award war chest and stuff like that that we can connect from Europe to Oak Island. I know you probably can't hear me too good, but we can hear you fine. Yes, uh, my uh, theory that was featured on the show does involve the possibility that um, funds that may have been hidden at Oak Island were used in the American Revolution or uh, in an effort to make Nova Scotia part of the United States. There's a lot of uh, historical documentation of large amounts of uh, gold being missing from Fortress Lewisburg and the Don V expedition uh, that has been talked about on the show uh, related to the Rochefort family. Okay. As I researched back into the Rochefort family, I found a really amazing uh, group of people who are valued fine art and literature and contributed to those arts themselves. And, um, may have hidden things in some of the art that they appreciated that could help to tell the truth. So when uh, I found out that about the Dan V expedition and Doug Crowell's theory okay. uh, that something had been built on Oak Island, it kind of fit what I had already been found, finding and speculating about uh, the United States' involvement in Nova Scotia. In certain points of history, starting in about uh, 1715, the New England planters came to uh, Nova Scotia. And these were families from the other American colonies that were uh, given land in Nova Scotia. And during the Revolution, many of these families fought on the American side and interestingly were uh, able to keep their land later after the war in Nova Scotia. So many of these people had fought uh, for the colonies and had an interest possibly in making Nova Scotia an American state after the American Revolution. So uh, the, the story that the Oak Island that is taking on all kind of these mythical and legendary overtones may have a really uh, practical basis in uh, having had something to do uh, with that, the funds that were used in the revolution mm-hmm. that could have come from a few different sources, including um, the French's association with the Jacobite movement of Scotland. Okay. Um, Court, how did they approach you to come on the show, or how was the connection made for your expertise? to uh, be on the Curse of Oak Island show, if you can hear me okay. Yes, I can. Um, well, at first, they, they, um, I had sent, just sent my book uh, to Rick and Marty. And from there, it kind of blossomed out until I was contacted by Prometheus Entertainment 
mm-hmm. uh, to participate things on the show and possibly be involved in some other television programs as well about American history and lost treasures, which is kind of what I ended up writing about, even though that's not what I started out to do. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. So uh, it was just a, a matter of uh, me having identified some things I think they would have been interested in and submitting, uh, you know, the book that I had written about that. And uh, they liked some of what I was saying and were interested in it. It seemed to fit with some of the other ideas that were going around. So I think they, uh, that's the reason they invited me to be on the show. Yes, well, you're a wealth of knowledge. As you know, as I went over and took a look at your YouTube channel and all the stuff that you have and all the references you have. Oh, my God. Or, information there. I mean, it's a pile and a half. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my God, Court. I don't know how you do it, but it's unbelievable. What Now, what is Thank your, you. Yep. Now, what is your, I'm going to ask Cortland Dahl this. What is your thesis on what happened at Oak Island? And at what times, and just to get an idea of your theory of what's actually at Oak Island by your means and ways, Court. Thank you. Well, right. It's it's hard to have only one theory. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I often say if anybody tells you they know exactly what happened at Oak Island, they probably don't. Right. Uh, Including me, and all we can kind of do is, is look at, Real history is one of the things I do. I don't rely on uh, popular notions of what was going on, but I look at the people involved and the history behind it all and kind of try to come to some some conclusions. So early on, I think one of the good candidates is Sir Francis Drake uh, for many uh, different reasons related to my studies of the Arcadian theme and how it applies to uh, uh, a host of other treasure stories as well. Okay. Uh, that's a real possibility, but to me, the most attractive uh, time period would be between about 1750 and 1820, where a lot of the events involved may apply to the Oak Island treasure. So it's probably between 1750 and the time of the discovery of the, quote, money pit by the three young men. Okay. And the story we're all familiar with about that. Uh, now, what could be hidden there, a variety of things could be that the island seems to have always been used by privateers and and things like that. Yeah. But also, during the back and forth between the French and the English in Nova Scotia, a lot of factors could have come into play at that time where it was a place to hide funds or, or uh, weapons and all kinds of other things or a place where they could repair their ships as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of reasons that uh, possibly treasures could be uh, hidden at Oak Island mm-hmm. related to the conflict between the British and the French and um, things like that. So there, there's a variety of different things that could apply that when you really go digging into history, you'll can see that uh, the treasury from the Down V expedition was managed by the same treasurer as Fortress Lewisburg. Right, Lewisburg rings a bell. Yeah, Lewisburg, that Fort Lewisburg, when they uh, mm-hmm. 
took that over and didn't find one piece of gold, one piece of silver or anything. I wonder where right. that one, where did that go, you know? And that's very interesting because the treasurer of Fortress Lewis Ford was a man named John Laborde. And he actually was charged with the misappropriating what would be worth over a hundred million dollars today. Oh my God. Wow. Yes. And, and he had some really interesting connections uh, via his family to banking interests in Europe. And uh, even some family associations that are very interesting in that there was some associations with the Anson family of Admiral Anson of Shugborough Hall in England, where we know the Shepherd's Monument is. Okay, I know the Shepherd's Monument, yep. Right, and the Shepherd's Monument itself is one of the things that led me to Oak Island. I, it, when I was doing my research about these European lost treasure myths mm-hmm. of the Night Flower and things like that, I began to become aware that a lot of these treasure stories like Randall Chateau, Chugborough Hall, and even stories in Scotland involved this theme of Arcadia, of the, the Greek mythology of Arcadia that is applied to these stories. Wow. Kind of a, a history way, possibly, where you're supposed to be aware of what Arcadia is to even figure it all out. Unbelievable. So that led me to the Shepherd's Monument, which has the bas-relief mirror image of the Poussin painting, The Shepherds of Arcadia. And um, it's nearly identical to the original painting, except it has the addition of a strange reliquary or box on top of the tomb that is not present in the painting. Right. So I looked at this as a piece of art and didn't concern myself with the uh, coded portion of the monument, and uh, my conclusion was that it was a memento mori for the beheaded King Charles I in about the middle of the 17th century. We know he was beheaded and the parliamentarians took over, and this was kind of the beginning of the Jacobite cause or the Cavalier cause that also manifested itself in the colony from the followers of Charles I. The way I link that to Island is, is really kind of amazing because I did a survey of literature about Arcadia from the Elizabethan period and later, and I found a book by Sir Philip Sidney entitled Arcadia that had a story in it that was really, really very similar to the original folklore of Oak Island the three young men finding the money pit. Okay. The book was first printed in 1580. And uh, in the description of finding the treasure, of someone is sent to go find a treasure so the hero can escape with his lady love. He, uh, This man digs up a treasure pit that's already been excavated. And at the bottom of the pit, he finds a box that is termed Aristomenes box, top a graven stone that's kind of analogous to the 90-foot stone. Yeah. And he finds this pit beneath an oak tree, and golden acorns are talked about in the text of the story and everything, and there's a lot of things that indicate that this could have been the inspiration for the later kind of uh, 
generic story that we all know about the three young men finding the money pit and digging through the layers of logs and whatnot. Now, what story so, is that? Uh, what what reference is that, Court? That is from a book entitled Arcadia that was written by Philip Sidney okay. in 1580. Got it. And amazingly, later in about 1620, this book was amended with a new chapter by the first Baron of Nova Scotia, Sir William Alexander. Hmm. So when I found out that, I'm like, wow, here's a book with a story very similar to the story of the three young men finding the money pit that even the Baron of Nova Scotia had concerned himself with. To me, that seemed rather significant and possibly that somebody had used this story to later craft the you know, the generic version of the Oak Island story later, even after the money pit had been discovered by Daniel McGinnis and company. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting that I saw this really close connection to this Arcadian theme that I had seen at Rainless Chateau, Dugborough Hall, and uh, places in Scotland where they valued that theme as well from the original province of Arcadia in Greece. And uh, as I continued to look into that, I found all kinds of other uh, interesting associations that, like the box on top of the tomb, the Shepherd's Monument, the Chugborough Hall, was analogous to Aristomenes' box that had been found in the money pit in the story in the book Arcadia. Right. Now, this Arcadia... Oh, sorry, Court. Go ahead. Yes, and... uh, Aristomenes' box is famous for King Aristomenes who tried to invade Arcadia in Greece and Greek mythology and he realized he was going to lose so he buried a quote treasure which was a palladium or a sacred statue of Pallas Athena that he buried so no one his enemies didn't get it so uh, in that, it's interesting that that story is included in the story that's very similar to the money pit. Right. Now, is this story... This, of the Shepherd's Monument. Right. This story of uh, Arcadia, that's sort of a carbon copy of the uh, Oak Island story, that was found in Greece in 1580? Where was that uh, found? Yes, yes. The original kind of theme of Arcadia is interesting because it really um, exemplifies the art of navigation as well in a kind of allegorical way because Arcadia is named after the Greek mythological character Arcus, who through a series of events and adventures is cast into the sky as Ursa Minor, and his mother is cast into the sky as the constellation Ursa Major. And we we know that Ursa Minor's tale of the bear includes the pole star. So in each of these mysteries, I've also found a navigational attribute or a way using specific structures that are revealed to you as you kind of follow this path of the Arcadian theme that actually point on the globe to places that are significant. So that's part of uh, of what I found, that it's really interesting that, I mean, I started all looking into all of this by 
wondering why Thomas Jefferson built octagonal structures. Okay. If I followed the architectural history of that factory time, I realized that he was modeling ancient structures like the Tower of the Winds in Athens that indeed was a timekeeping laboratory which allowed them to fix longitude and have somewhat accurate uh, navigation. So even in the case of Oak Island, there are some uh, things that indicate that people may have known and uh, kind of like a pirate map, you know, a treasure Mm -hmm. map where there's directions from a certain point that you have to follow and it leads you to... uh, a place like Oak Island, which we know already has a legendary. Right. And this is also a factor in Rain the Chateau, which is a story of a lost treasure uh, that involves the Paris Meridian in France. Okay. So even Thomas Jefferson, for instance, um, had learned of this kind of tradition in France via his friendships with people like the Alexander Rochefort and uh, the Marquis de Lafayette and members of the Cassini family who ran the Paris Observatory there that he was known to correspond and associate with. And by the way, they're the namesake of the famous Cassini space probe. Yeah. The mission recently came to an end. So they're world famous astronomers and cartographers or map makers. And a lot of the mysteries in France, they seem to be aware of in this kind of geographical context. Yep. I got a question for you, Court. I don't know if this is off topic, but I asked Gretchen this. I mean, you've done a lot of studies. I haven't. Can you still hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe and in Greece, when all these people wanted to conquer and take the other people's treasures and stuff like this sir i mean they would have on a far advancement of an army coming i mean they're not taking a jet plane they're walking across the desert or they're coming by boats they got plenty of time it's not really a big surprise for what they're coming for is it possible or have you seen in any of your research of them making or not making making duplicate fake items of the original items so they keep the original items to safekeeping when they came and raided their treasures they actually got some treasure but the most important treasure were only duplicates of the originals i got to ask you that question no that's that's a great idea because uh you know, people have even speculated that about one of the most famous treasures of all that's really at the basis of a lot of these later treasure stories in the form of the temple treasure from Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, that's highly valued by a lot of people, Freemasons in, in lore and mythology and allegory involved right. uh, like that. And uh, there's a lot of theories out there that when uh, Titus sacked the Temple Mount in mm-hmm. 78 CP, that he was had found a fake treasure, just like what you're suggesting. Really? Yeah, there's some theories like that, okay. anyway, that I've read. So, I mean, but, but what he did find uh, was taken to Rome and displayed at the Temple of Peace of Rome 
that uh, had been built by Emperor Vespasian, which is a really interesting place, too. So later, the Visigoths uh, sacked Rome and made away with the treasure, and it's never been seen since. So this this is one of the core uh, tenets of what's going on at Rainless Chateau. Some people think it involves the temple treasure, uh, although there's lots of later indications that show a different story as well. Mm-hmm. But that, that that is that area is famous for having legends of the temple treasure having been hidden there because the Visigothic ruler that had sacked Rome actually ruled that region of France at the time. Okay. So some people speculate that he brought it back there. But no, what what you're saying is, is entirely possible with any range of, you know, Holy Grail items or uh, relics of saints and right. things like that are valued by people that, you know, even the, the Shroud of Turin, there's a question there whether it's authentic or not. And if it, it was really the Shroud of Christ and things like that. So there's always those questions there. And uh, you're right to bring that up because that's something we should always be aware of. Yeah, like I'm saying, by the time the ship got to the spot, by the time they walked, uh, you know, over the desert, it was like months before they even got anywhere. So they had a really big opportunity to either hide it better or make duplicates and say, okay, you found it and uh, be off with you, you know. Sure. And that kind of feeds into to how some of these concepts were even used in, in like psychological warfare during a certain era, you know, you know, where, where these kind of myths and legends could be designed as an intelligence ploy, kind of like the, what we read about Dr. John D. during the Elizabethan era. So, I mean, a lot of these stories indicate, yes, at Oak Island, for instance, there could be a treasure but it might be something totally different than the kind of stories we've heard that describe what it really is. So there's always that to think about, too. But uh, there's a lot of historical context of Oak Island and Nova Scotia that suggests that gold from the Jacobite Rebellion in Scotland in 1745 could have been uh, brought there by the French and hidden. And uh, a lot of concerns allied with us during the revolution so that money could have been used at that time. At one point, the leader of the Jacobites was Bonnie Prince Charlie and after the revolution there was a very real movement to make Bonnie Prince Charlie the quote, King of America. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that tells you right there, there was some Jacobite involvement in the revolution that they may have invested a little bit in that of their political and real capital to be involved in the development of our country. Unbelievable. Like Nova Scotia was supposed to be the the uh, part of the United States. Right, and of course our allies during the revolution were the French as well. And uh, the Jacobites had many family ties to uh, like the De La Tour family of the first French Acadian governor that intermarried with the Stuart family of Bonnie Prince Charlie earlier in history, and there were subsequent other ties, too, that even extended to the Rochelle Falls and other prominent French families between the Stuart family of Scotland, who became the kings of England, and uh, uh, these powerful French families that had ties 
to the Latin kings of Jerusalem, Armenia, and Cyprus and places like that. Yep. So when a lot of the Crusades ended, for instance, a lot of these families were sort of nobility that no longer had an actual physical domain to rule. Okay. And I found their influence of the Jacobites or the Stuart family, and of course the exiled kings of France eventually, and the Latin kings having a kind of techniques that they could use to keep their commerce going and kind of sort of uh, have a kingdom with no actual property. So naturally they would look to America to gain some property. Yep. Or some uh, financial influence and things like that. Right, and um, getting back to uh, Oak Island, that uh, that which I call a Evans boulder that has the thirteen layers. It looks like the Christmas tree on that boulder. What do you think of that? Right, the, the appeal to heaven design. Appeal to heaven. There you go. Yeah, give us our your um, theory on well, that. That was a uh, promoted by George Washington himself was one of the advocates of using that flag with the appeal to heaven design, which is kind of like a pine tree design that we all saw on that, that uh, rock carving on the show on the episode that I was on. And uh, it's also interesting that the flag of Maine right. is part of it. And the actual, uh, one of the versions of the Acadian flag has the same pine tree on it and it's interesting that washington valued that because that has this french connection to the acadian people that and they were our allies in the revolution so that's kind of some of the symbolism behind that as well and that also relates again to the effort that i was speaking of that really lasted almost till the 20th century that there was a lot of people in Nova Scotia that wanted to be part of the United States. Right. But uh, then with me and uh, Gretchen, we also talked a little bit about, maybe you can uh, improve on this, that uh, Ben Franklin, when he went over to Europe and got the funds for the Revolutionary War through his friends, the Freemasons, um, did he purchase land? Did he get like 20,000 acres in Nova Scotia? Can you clear that up for us, Kurt? Yes, he was granted land in Nova Scotia before the war, when he was, you know, there were still political relations between the United States and Great Britain. And he had been granted 20,000 acres in Nova Scotia. And I can't remember the name of the town right now, but there's a specific town there, kind of northeast of uh, Oak Island, the good ways, that was the land that he was actually granted. So it was 20,000 acres. Also, earlier in history, Philip Sidney had been granted land in Acadia as well by Sir Humphrey Gilbert, who claimed the region in 1583. So that's an interesting connection, too, back to the Arcadian theme. But yeah, Ben Franklin definitely was, you know, such a diplomat and everything and uh, inured in French culture and history and everything from his time there, as well as time he spent in England, that he had the background to really know about these kind of things. And I found other instances of him possibly being involved in uh, hiding things, um, 
creating kind of a, a, a uniquely American mythology that was different than England or France that many people believed during that era that America should have their own identity beyond all of that. Right. But uh, we don't know what happened after that uh, 20,000 uh, acres up to now, right? Do we know anything up to two, the year 2020 or what's happening with that thing that happened up there? With him uh, having ownership of that property? Yes, Court. Right. After, Of course, after the war, <laughs> after the American Revolution, he was now persona non grata, so his claim was no longer yeah. valid. Right. And he wasn't allowed to keep that. But again, going back to the quote, New England planters, and these families included the Delano family related to FDR president. Mm-hmm. And very interestingly, the Longfellow family of the famous poet hmm. also owned land in Grand Prix and uh, came back to Nova Scotia after the war and lived there and, and worked their farms there. And it's interesting because a lot of these, you know, people that had fought for the colonies in the American Revolution came back to Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. and this included Freemasons, of course, and members of the Society of the Cincinnati, which is an interesting group of people that, uh, to have membership, you have to have been an officer in the Revolution okay. on the American side, and this include, included French some Polish and German people as well, and then one male descendant. So this organization still exists today and is an interesting American, you know, patriotic organization, obviously, that kind of promotes the the concept of what a republic is and okay. what America is. And we might as well go into, you know, about the, we might as well go into what the Freemasons mm-hmm. um on Oak Island, the tie-in between the Freemasons now and Oak Island. Right. Um, what do you have as far as any kind of connections uh, going into that? I mean, did they all of a sudden go with the Micmacs? Did they move in west? Uh, what happened to them from Oak Island, and where did they go to after that, if you know? That uh, I couldn't hear what you said about the Native Americans, but with regard to Freemasons or Freemasonic concepts at Oak Island, it's interesting that um, the whole story of the nine layers of logs with the graven stone at the bottom or the 90-foot stone kind of infers allegorically the story of Enoch bearing, uh, building the nine-layered mm-hmm. vault in the Holy Land, of course, with the sacred stone and the golden triangle that includes the tetragrammaton or the unspoken word of God on it. Yep. That's kind of treasure. And again, that's analogous going back to Aristomenes' box uh, as inferred in Philip Sidney's version of the story. In, in an older context, the Palladium, the sacred relic. So Freemasons did used to value the story of Enoch more, and it was really more of a continental Freemasonry, like the French version of Freemasonry that had developed that's a little different than uh, the York Rite or the American uh, Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. That actually, again, the Stuart family, including Bonnie Prince Charlie, had a lot of influence on the development of French Freemasonry during early to mid-18th century. Oh, my God, this information. 
type of Freemasonry is, is what's called Templarism. They identified with that and uh, referred to each other as Chevaliers or Cavaliers or Knights and things like that. So that, that's one of the things that I've coming up, come up with that's a little disappointing to a lot of Oak Island fans because I feel a lot of the, quote, Templar imagery going on in Nova Scotia and the early American colonies was a byproduct of what the Stuart family had done in Europe. Oh, my God. Uh, Go ahead. Court, I got a question from a Facebook user. Um, I can't. I'm going back and forth there. He says, the person says, how does Court feel or not feel the wording on Zena Halpern's map that connects the Rushville Falls? That was her question. Can you say that again, please? How does court feel or not feel the wording on Zena Halpern's map? How it connects oh, okay. to the Rushville calls? It, it, it does, because basically what you're seeing, the map that Zena had was based on the one included in the Cremona document. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things that is very curious about the original map. There's longitude reading attached to certain places in Nova Scotia where there's Roman numerals with the vertical line associated. So Oak Island is marked at 66 degrees and 6 minutes west of whatever the prime meridian that was used. Yeah, Jeff and Irving said that, that 66 degrees. Remember, Jeff? System of longitude has a zero point on the Earth, like the Greenwich uh, Meridian in England today that's used where we all measure time and space from today. Okay. So what I did was follow that reading of 66 degrees and six minutes back to what have been the zero point, and I found that this was a meridian that had been made by the Cassini family. The astronomers that I referred to before that Thomas Jefferson was associated with created this meridian, which is 22 and a half miles west of the famous Paris meridian, which is most, that's what most French navigators had used as their zero point. So this was a hidden meridian that somebody, whoever drew that map, had used a meridian that had been created by the Cassini family, not the Knights Templar or another entity that is actually a dividing line between sections of the famous Cassini map of France that they had drawn that was very accurate. And... uh, it had also been used in experiments to uh, discern the exact size and shape of the Earth by the community. Um, uh, her name was Judy Runbush, and she's asking what family that created the Meridian? What family right. that created the Meridian? Yep. And that Judy is actually, yeah, she it. was the assistant of Zena. She was assistant. Uh, oh, she was Zena's assistant. Well, hello, Judy. Welcome. I'm getting bombed over here with all kinds of crazy <laughs> things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There are some associations of historical places on this meridian that are uh, in turn associated with the, quote, Holy Grail. So that's also 
also very interesting that the story of Fortress Montsegur, where the Cathars uh, met one of their final conflicts, and a lot of people out there probably know the story about that, that some of them, there's just a legend or story that people escaped from there with the, quote, Holy Grail. Mm. So that is located on that meridian. Oh, my and God. And then as we get further to the south to Montserrat, Spain, lo and behold, that turned up on the same meridian as well. Hmm. And there's also a legend of the, quote, Holy Grail having once been at Mo- uh, Montserrat in Spain as well. So it's interesting that both of those places are present on this meridian that the Cassini family first established. Right. And also, like I was telling uh, Gretchen, you know, people uh, sort of think the map is a fake map and such and such and such. And we're very positive, but we don't know. But it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You know, I mean, who knows how many centuries old it was. And then they made a copy to copy to copy. And people don't realize that. You know what I mean? Court to say, oh, this paper on this map, that looks pretty new. Well, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. What do you think, Kurt? Yes, I think it is. Obviously, the one you see, it almost looks like it was drawn with a magic marker (laughs) (laughs) or something like that. But it it could be a copy of it. Or or actually, whoever created that, the entire Cremona document, you know, could have easily been aware of the Cassini family or known something about them. If we're talking French or Jacobite, uh, Scottish involvement in creating the kind of quest legend in North America that matched older legends in Europe, like the eight lost Knights Templar treasures of Saborga that I've been talking about. So this is kind of the information that I was referring to that Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and others would have been aware of from associating with Freemasons in France and attending literary salons and kind of you know, immersing themselves in this kind of uh, European folklore, for instance, that could have a basis in real truth as well. I'm not saying uh, that at all. Right. But uh, Benjamin also, Franklin was in with the right people, the right Freemasons in Europe. He was intertwined. With did the he right own land in Nova Scotia? Ben, Benjamin Franklin, did he own land in Nova Scotia at one time? Yeah. Well, what's really interesting, too, about the map that's in the Cremona document is that there's a dot on the map where the Newport Tower is. And if there's actually a line drawn on that map going due west at 270 degrees, okay. that leads us to Bannerman's Castle on the island in the Hudson River. Scottish castle built by arms in relic dealer Francis Bannerman, who, who was a very interesting person with strong Jacobite sentiments and ties. I mean, his family got their name. They were part of the McDonald family, which is a very famous Jacobite family that um, at the Glencoe Massacre in the late 1600s, the Bannerman took up the standard and saved it during the battle, so that person named McDonald was given the name Bannerman. And in fact, there was a stone 
at uh, Bannerman's Island that was said to be a foundation stone from one of the houses at Flenco where this famous Jacobite massacre occurred in Scotland that uh, Francis Bannerman had put there that had since been destroyed by people looking for treasure. Okay. And that's interesting to me because in the kind of popular stories told about Bannerman's Island today, uh, there's only one group of people known for destroying parts of that to find clues that later people associate with the Cremona document that I don't believe really are associated at all. So in the end, you know, uh, all I hate to dispute what, what Dina was saying, I believe the Cremona document was a product of uh, Jacobite interests as well. And uh, in league with uh, other people, possibly like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, other artists and people who were skilled at literature and other forms of art had created this story kind of in competition with the notion that Columbus had discovered America. Okay. You know, that sounds like a lot, but when you break it all down, there, there, after the revolu revolution, there was a strong desire by influential people in America to give our country their our own identity that was separate, you know, from the influences of Spain, uh, Spain France, and England that had influenced the development of the colonies in North America, what would become the United States in many ways. Okay. So, uh, could the Knights Templar actually have come to America? And uh, I could be wrong, you know. <laughs> right. What <laughs> goes... Claiming to be really, Court. Uh, the last word on anything, but... I, I hear you. Court, what goes through... This? Court. Yeah. Um, what goes through Court's mind... When you take a peek at the TV show, the quest, the quest, the uh, Curse of Oak Island, when you see like they're draining the swamp, they're putting caissons in, they're looking under Nolan's cross. Where do you separate where the show is for show, show, and for where the real hard facts come in? What does Court see when you're watching that program once in a while? Well, when I'm watching the show, I'm totally cheering for them and hoping that they come up with uh, treasure. Right. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of things to me that indicate that they're onto something. They're pieces of book binding and parchment that they found at depth, and the human remains kind of indicate uh, that there is something down there. Mm -hmm. yep. To me, and I think that they're kind of methodically doing whatever they can to find that out. So I, I think they're great. I mean, those guys are heroes to me, and I think it's awesome that they're doing what they're doing. And really, some of the, you know, the things they found and speculated about have inspired me to find some of these things that I found. Hmm. And some of the things they might not like to hear, other things they really appreciate. So right. I just kind of tell everybody really what I find, and I'm not trying to craft this information so I can get on the television show again or uh, anything like that. I'm just calling it like I see it, and if uh, they find that of value, that's just fine, and if not, I understand. Right, and, well, uh, we respect you. Really and... what I found is based on what they've been finding. Right, well, we respect you. We know you're under a 
non-disclosure agreement and the season's still going so we never know what's going to be uh shown or not so uh we appreciate that whatever you can say no problem but um now this thing i saw on your web page the eight lost treasures of the knights templar and oak island right give us a little well, I was just referring to that um earlier in your last question but what what i one of the questions i kind of grappled with is you hear all of this sto- these stories about the original knights templar finding something in the holy land that may have been a threat to the church right or earth shattering or changing information and when I looked into that, I found that the original Templars had uh, come to Saborga, Italy, just prior to going to the Holy Land. And Saborga at that time was a Cistercian state. And we all know the Cistercian Order created the Knights Templar. So there were said to be meetings there between Bernard of Clairvaux and the original Knights Templar. Oh, my God. And then off the Holy Land. For, for I think nine years or seven years, I'm a little foggy on that part. Okay. But when they first returned to Europe again, as the story goes, they went back to Saborga and shared what is said to be the quote great secret with a bishop of the Cathars and the Grand Master of the Knights of Saint John, which later be the Knights of Malta. So there's some piece of information there that's inferred and referred to as, quote, the great secret. The great secret. Right. So as I looked into Saborga more, I found out that there was a legend of the eight lost Knights Templar treasures there, and there's a stone there that is said to encode somehow the locations of the said eight lost treasures. Oh, boy. I think if you break it down, we may assume that Places like Rain Le Chateau or uh, other interesting stories in France, like the Great Cyclic Cross of Day or Shugborough Hall, or the stories of the temple treasure being near Rain Le Chateau could be involved with what the eight lost treasures are. And there's also some um, theories that the Shroud of Turin is included in that, or uh, the Sacro Patino or the serving dish at the Last Supper that's located in Genoa are what is being referred to. And so as I studied on and found out and looked at Thomas Jefferson's activities in France and Benjamin Franklin that I discerned that they had possibly created a similar legend in North America that may have involved even bringing some of the quested for items from Europe back and being hidden in North America. So that, of course, kind of feeds into a lot of theories of Oak Island that right. things are hidden, like the papers of Sir Francis Bacon, mm-hmm. you know, or the Temple Treasure, even, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, some people speculate. So uh, it's possible, too, that the American version of these stories involves things that create... Um, an interest in the American ideal or American culture, like the Declaration of Independence, for instance, mm-hmm. is involved 
in the Deal Treasure in Virginia, and another lost vault story in Williamsburg known as the Brute Vault. So that these similar stories seem to have popped up in America, you know, yeah. in air almost. And it's really interesting because I think that the story of the Newport Tower and Williamsburg are related to each other in that way because there's what's known as the powder magazine in Colonial Williamsburg. That's an octagonal structure, which is a model of the Tower of the Winds of Athens. And I believe this is what inspired Thomas Jefferson to build his octagonal structures at Monticello and Fossil Forest because he had been a student at William and Mary. Octagonal directions on the globe that the powder magazine points to, it actually aligns with the Newport Tower. Oh my. One of the facets of the octagon there, if you draw an arc on the globe at that angle from the powder magazine, it leads to the Newport Tower. Well, well members, we're talking to Court Lindahl. He's on the telephone right now. He's got a lot of information on YouTube and his YouTube channel. He's got over 130 videos, uh, blogs, and tons and tons of information and references. I mean, I'm getting an education just by listening to him. Yep. And uh, it's the best way to learn with me is get it right from him himself. You know what I mean, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. All right. Let me see if we got any questions. Okay, let me do okay. some questions for you. Oh. Sure. Does he think Templars did a lot of the tunnels? Now, is that referring to the tunnels on the island? The Who knows? If Say the, again? Do you think the Templars did a lot of the tunnels where, I don't know where, if they find something at Oak Island? I guess I put up the wrong question here. I think it's possible. I mean, most people base what they're thinking with regard to the Knights Templar uh, being in Nova Scotia. They associate that with Henry St. Clair. Here's another one. Which I've read several times, and that seems kind of implausible to me, like it's not real. But what is interesting about the St. Clair family, and we should all remember that Later, William Sinclair, of course, built Roslyn Chapel, which many people see North American imagery there. But we can't forget that the Sinclair family is really part of Norwegian royalty. Norwegian. Of course, or sagas that tell us about what would later be known as the Lansaw Meadows, Lansaw Meadows site in Newfoundland, the Viking site there. They might have had knowledge of that, and that may be the reason that North American imagery is included in Roslyn Chapel, because William C. Clare was the last Earl of Orkney. He was replaced with an Englishman after that, and uh, there's that Norwegian connection to what we see at Roslyn Chapel. It doesn't mean Henry yeah. St. Clair there. It means they're telling you about their Norse heritage, where they had knowledge of such things. Okay, I got another one for you, Court. This is from, uh, can you hear me okay? It's from Pamela Block. 
does the original Freemasons organization still exist in Nova Scotia? Can you hear me okay? Yes. Do the original Freemasons organization exist in Nova Scotia? Is that the question? Yes, Court. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. There, there's a lot of differences in, in continental Freemasonry than what is in America, just from what I've read. I mean, if somebody's a Freemason, they may know better than I do. Mm, okay. I but, but of course, the, some of the, the earliest uh, speculative Masons in Scotland were the sons of the Baron of Nova Scotia, Sir William Alexander. His sons, William and Anthony, were said to be the first two initiated into an actual stonemason's lodge, even though they weren't stonemasons. So there's that connection to it. But then through uh, a lot of time, of course, there were a lot of French Freemasons there as well. And uh, the, the Freemasons that are there today are probably associated with the Grand Lodge of England, uh, the no longer original Stonemason killed in that regard. But, um, so that, that have a huge influence on the development of Nova Scotia, no matter if the French or English controlled uh, the region. Both sides had a value of that. Okay. Um, does anybody else have any questions out there in uh, member land that we can uh, ask uh, Court, and then we can start buttoning it up a little bit. And uh, Jeff, do you have any questions for Court? No, uh, this has been really fascinating. A lot of great information. I really yeah. appreciate this. Yep, Court, we really appreciate it. We're like a bunch of sponges here. Um, you got so much information, it's just unbelievable. And to absorb it all, and then we got to research a little bit and look and look at your YouTube uh, uh, films and videos and tie everything together there's a ton of information we got tonight and i really appreciate it oh no problem it's been uh, great to chat with you all about it and i'd love to come back when we can get the tech problems worked out and uh so we can hear each other better <laughs> right but you know we gotta it's like court it's like it's like the show must go on tonight so we gave whatever we got we gave, you know what I mean? If it's a mumbly or and it's a not that great, at least it's something. We gave something to something. Right. Um, hey, Kurt, I never cancel out no matter what. Go ahead, Kurt, Jeff. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you great. Okay. One of the one of the questions that was up, uh, Wanda was asking, did you say that the McDonald, that the name McDonald was changed to Bannerman? Somebody was asking. Yeah, there, there's, two, there's two different instances in Scottish history where a member of the McDonald family had saved the banner. One of them, it was at the Battle of Bannockburn, the famous battle where Robert Bruce defeated the English forces to kind of free Scotland at that time. Mm. That a McDonald family had saved the banner and then was granted the name Bannerman. And then the second instance of it is in the early 1700s during one of the Jacobite rebellions at Glencoe, Mm -hmm. that a member of the McDonald family had again saved the banner that day and was awarded the name Bannerman, even though they're directly related to the McDonald family and all of their previous ancestors mm -hmm. from the McDonald family. So, yeah, that's a name that was kind of an award for, for valor 
for saving the banner during these significant battles in Scottish history. Unbelievable. Yeah, Judy, that was... Uh, Later, this arms and relic dealer, Francis Bannerman, who built the castle on the Hudson River, is part of the Cremona document story. And in each instance of all of these mysteries in Europe and North America, I've seen Jacobite influence in all of these. So that's one, one of the things that compels me to believe that we're not looking at an earlier source. We're looking at a source for the Oak Island treasure that is coming from uh, the mid to late 18th century or 1700s. Okay, we got another uh, user that says uh, they love the video about the Italy Templar connection. She says, or he says, thank you, Court. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Jack Campbell's got a question for you, Court. Does he think sure. Does he think Vikings were on Oak Island first? Them, then the Templars found out from the Vikings. I think I think that's entirely possible, although no real evidence has emerged to support that idea. We know they were at Lonsal Meadow, which, you know, if they explored from there, that that settlement was there for what is thought to be three or four years, that they could have made their way to Nova Scotia somehow and at least explored the area. But I'm not seeing... On Oak Island specifically, they're not coming up with items of Viking material, right. culture, or anything like that. But it's certainly within the realm of possibility, and if evidence surfaced saying that was true, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, they're saying we can they can hear you fine, and they can hear us fine. So I guess we're, we might sound garbled between us three, but the chat is saying they can hear us fantastically, Court. <laughs> Good. Awesome. But, yeah, um, a lot of people saying they were they uh, really enjoyed tonight to have you here and uh, hearing what you had to say tonight, Court. Well, thanks a lot. It's been great to be here with you. I can hear you a lot better, Jeff, for some reason. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. You can't hear you can't hear me too good, I guess, but that's okay. I, I can hear you. It's a little more garbled. That's all. Mm. Okay, Court. Well, I want to thank you for tonight. My members, thank you. And I'm saying once we get into the studio, we'll get you on here video-wise, and it'll be a lot more smoother. We can show videos and yeah, do, yeah. do a right presentation as a guest appearance. But uh, I thank you for what you did. I thank you for your patience tonight. Oh, uh, you're welcome. It's been great talking to you all. And next time we'll I uh, do this from a studio that has broadband and everything, and it won't be a problem. Okay. Well, I thank oh. you. So, I thank you so much, Court. Good night. Have a good night, Court. Thank you very much. All right. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Well, that was very interesting. That man has so much knowledge, and I guess oh. on his website, you know, you were talking about how much stuff is out on his website. What was that again? 130 over 130 videos wow i mean he's got like uh six thousand subs six thousand so, what subs on youtube the subscribers oh, okay. on youtube over mm -hmm. six thousand so 
He's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of facts, just like Jeff Irving, just like Peter, just like Gretchen. And mm. But when he gets deep into those, you know, families of this and families of that, of these Templars and all that, it's like unbelievable depth for me. I just have to listen because I really don't know. I can't <laughs> I know. see all his information. Yeah, I haven't done the research that he has, so I'm like, what questions can I ask? You know, I think, well, he's covered everything pretty much that I thought about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, that was great. Great having him on. Yeah, it would be nice one day. We had a, a little bit. It was his internet connection that was having an issue uh, on court's end that was keeping us from being able to um, connect and keep a good, stable um, uh, connection with him. So, um, video connection. So, that's why we opted to go with the phone. So, right, and uh, he also said he is going to get into a studio next time. He's going to set it up, so he will be um, on video, and we can show parts of his YouTube, not only telling us, but actually showing us on his right. videos. I mean, we can't pause the video, Jeff, because then it obviously goes back yeah, to the that, beginning. Right. It doesn't play correctly so, after that, but, yeah. But he can be on here, show his video, and... And that won't be any kind of copyright because it's his video, you know. Right, exactly. He owns so, the rights. So, so yeah. that's what our plan was for tonight, but it, it all fell through. But I hope you guys uh, have patience with us. But we have the show must go on, Jeff and Linda. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, I think Wanda asked, uh, what is the name of, do you know the name of his YouTube channel? No. Okay. Yeah, Wanda, or uh, I think Linda said she just looked it up. Okay. And Marie, thank you. Jack, thanks for being here tonight. Yep, thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun and very informative. And um, uh, now we're looking forward to, uh, I forgot how many, what's the date today? The 17th. How many days we got left? What, 13? 13, day, uh, 13, 10, 23. Days, huh? huh? 23. And then uh, this Wednesday night, we'll put up our other big announcement of who's coming on the 28th yes 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 and uh our, our next special guest and then we'll on. go from it's there been on the show many times that'll be interesting yep. good it'll be good talking yep. um so nope. yeah so we got that coming up and then um we're, we're trying to line up a couple more um as we get rolling here but as the season we've kind of been told that as the season gets started um you know of course we'll have each show to talk about uh, after the show airs um but right. um there's some people that said they might come and join us after the season starts so keep we'll keep you posted as we know uh, as we uh get things locked in but we really appreciate you all being here as always thank you so much this this group is for everybody and it's all like i keep saying it's always there for us to share information back and forth with each other and enjoy the show yep well that's it for tonight i thank everybody and uh We'll see you this coming Wednesday night between 8, 8.30, somewhere in there, uh, this coming Wednesday. And we'll come up with something. Remember, every time you see us, we're that much closer to the premiere. <laughs> and then if you notice, you notice anything different on Jeff? He's got a shirt on there. <laughs> I think it looks great. Linda helped us out with that. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, Linda is our wardrobe oh, yeah. manager, along of other details that she's uh, in charge of. My mail, that's all I get is bills in my mail. So we got to wait for mine. I don't know. 
It'll be there. Well, I thank you so much, Jeffrey. Thanks yep. a lot. Linda, again, thank you for holding up the ship. Everybody go forward. Believe in your dreams. We'll see you next Wednesday. Anything else that comes up, I'll post. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody.